Wardcast episode 103, go. I'm Dil Alvento, and today I'm joined by M. Joshua Caller. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to talk to you. I'm glad to talk to you too. Um, so you are, we just, we literally just had this conversation, but you are a trailer craftsman and we met at Super Smash Con, which I'm actually, I'm wearing the shirt right now. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> I have a, I, ha- I should have worn my uh, brawl out t-shirt that I got from it, uh, specifically a Super Smash Con brawl out t-shirt. I was kind of hoping that you'd get like some of the characters on it, but it was more Super Smash Con. I liked everything on, on the brawl out booth. Like I really liked all their collateral, their marketing oh, materials. Yeah, super like tight. It, it looks really good. Um, but we got into a conversation cause you kind of came up to my booth and you're asking about like peak, uh, and kind of how like, it's not usually what you'd find at a convention like super smash con. And then we kind of talked about, uh, the game and, and you, and then we got into talking about how, uh, you make trailers for, uh, game developers and game studios. Um, so why don't you go in a little bit about that, but like your trade and yeah, and sure. No that. problem. Yeah. Um, I'd say that I got started, um, I, I got started actually as a, a games writer, um, uh, as far as getting into the video game industry, but I have like over, uh, I started editing video back when I was, uh, in high school still. So back in the late nineties, um, and, uh, it was just kind of like these two things kind of overlapped and I was, uh, I just really, really loved trailers always. Um, even when I didn't realize that they were called trailers and we still called them previews back then, uh, when right. it came to, or, or commercials or whatever you wanted to call things back in the early aughts and the late nineties. But, um, I, I think that my first breakout moment was when I made the trailer for, uh, that dragon cancer and really trying to niche down in, in the, uh, the kind of, uh, emotion. I don't even quite know what I'm trying to niche down in, in terms of the, uh, the kind of game that that dragon cancer is, but the, the, the scene and the discussion around what games could be in the future. Um, how do you represent things that are very different for, just making very, very different, weird games that don't really have a classification. Um, and so I think that, that my main distinctive, even though I'd love to say that I'm the the, the player-centric trailer guy, um, has been, uh, let's just try to capture really weird games and figure out how to ex- explain them, uh, how, to, how to sell them, how to show them. Um, you know, because movie trailers have it easy, right? Like, they have a story, you show that story, um, and then you try to make it interesting. Uh, and games, of course, uh, the, they aren't, their genre isn't defined by their story, their genre is defined by their mechanics. Uh, and so, you know, everyone knows what a human face looks like, but no one quite knows what, uh, you know, in, in your case, peaks uh, control of, of uh, and the role of light and who, who are you if you're not the actual boy and all sorts of uh, questions that I, I find absolutely fascinating and, and uh, very difficult, but also st- still very enjoyable to translate to uh, the common player within, uh, you know, whatever, uh, a minute or a minute and a half, two minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I think a lot of game developers, because I feel this way, like really enjoy kind of the craft of making the trailers because, you know, I enjoy watching trailers where it's film, television, games. And so trying to find the best way to communicate my idea in that short span of time is something that I think a lot of us in the industry are very interested in. And so the conversation that we had, like you said, kind of introducing it as a way to communicate mechanics as opposed to story, because a lot of us, you know, I, I, I consider myself a writer and I consider myself like trying to tell narratives through games. So I, get very get down in the minutiae of it but you kind of took this different tact and which i mean from the outset kind of looks like the more obvious tact is like well let's communicate like the 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 mechanics and i i would assume like through that the tone of the game oh yeah yeah and and i think that that's that's actually something that came from um i guess it came from like one of a lot of the things that i do are all around video games but uh one of the the stranger sort of not, not that strange is um I have I have folks over to my house a lot for uh, '90s style. Uh, hey, you got the new system? Let's have you over for you just got the Genesis, um, only with uh, with indie games. Um, and so we'll play a lot of local multiplayer. And that's why Super Smash Con was like, yes, I want to go to that because there's going to be a lot of local multi stuff. Um, but the uh, the guys that I have over, um, I, my favorite thing is to put like something really weird in front of them. They're, they they don't even know what the heck it is. Um, uh, you know, obviously like we did with with uh, that Dragon Cancer, but um. When it comes to uh, putting things in front of players, you always get uh, a lot more of a sense of what the 
what is this? Especially because a lot of the guys that I have over are teenagers, guys that I mentored at a youth center um, or just out of high school and are kind of your, your stereotypical white gamers um, in a lot of cases, um, not all, but most. And uh, that that is very fun in the indie space where a lot of the games are made by older older uh, 30-somethings uh, who are just much more interested in experimenting. Uh, and so you get a lot of really funny reactions, but it helped me to realize, hey, this stuff, um, showing these games sometimes really requires a human element um, and sometimes actually requires that you show people's faces. Uh, and so we tried that with a couple of like uh, trailers that you don't typically think of, or, or kind of genres that you don't typically think of like, hey, let's try representing the player experience with player voices instead. Um, I think the, the first the first time that I did that was with a game called Threshold, which uh, was made by um, uh, Quadratron Games, who you may have seen at, uh, at Super Smash Con. Um, uh, they're out of Philly and they made a, a, a good a good handful of, of unique games uh, like Super Rock Blasters. But the first uh, before they released Super Block Rock Blasters, they released this game called Threshold, where you're basically just kind of going right or left and it's uh, puzzle based mechanics. And so I was like, you know what? I, I have no illusion to the fact that um, most players who who see this are not going to be your typical gamers, typical developers who really, really know games. It's going to be moms and uh, dads and and people who might, might approach this more on like a, an, an iPad kind of setting where it's just, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to explain it. And they don't watch trailers. So let's put their voices in it. So I got some of my friends to actually comment as they played. Like, like if you put two people together, you put a, a guy and a girl together, it's pretty easy to, to determine who's talking about what. Um, but that was how we contextualized each one of the shots in that trailer. And uh, that was kind of like, you know, do I go to the right? Do I go to the left? These are the kind of comments that people are making and realizing, ah, those ah moments of a puzzle game that really kind of like connected the dots. And those, that, that's not a conventional solution to the trailer. And we don't, I don't know if that was the perfect one or not, but um, it gave context to the experience. And that's the kind of thing that I, I always try to try to find a solution for. Right. You're seeing, you're seeing that kind of uh, solution coming up more and more, at least. in Because um, if you look at like the E3 press conferences with games like uh, Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves, exactly. It, with the first trailer for that, it was, it was players kind of communicating to help get the point across and that that was my favorite trailer of uh 2016 uh 2016's uh game trailers i actually wrote about it uh, because of the fact that they chose to uh basically sit people down and really comment their way through it um still i don't know that that that's perfect but um the way they did it was definitely a much higher end (laughs) right than i than i've done um especially considering they had a what like 16 different player sessions and uh they they had a bunch of professional streamers in there um, not, not, uh, well-knowns, but, uh, definitely those who do it for a living or, or consistently. Right. Yeah. And, and with the aha moment thing that you're talking about as well, I, uh, we, we have, the, we have the same kind of discovery with peak where it's, it's very much this also because puzzle games kind of have this learning curve of like, I have no idea what I'm doing and then it clicks. So it would be also interesting to see if that methodology for a trailer would also work for something like Peak. And the, the, the advantage is that it's it's pretty efficient to test uh, whether or not that would work um, simply by um, when you have a tester come over um, or you're able to test and you can simply just record them, um, ideally with another person with them who does who does or does not understand but is, is still equally invested in the experience and you can hear them play off of one another. Um, that can provide lots of material. It, the one thing that sucks about this approach of uh, the audio uh, framing the the visuals, uh, player audio framing the gameplay rather, um, is that it is time costly when it comes to, you know, you, you want to find those right comments in a very long recording, much like in a podcast recording. <laughs> well, as someone who edits two hour podcast every week, I think I can, <laughs> I think I can take on that challenge. Yeah, if, absolutely. If I so choose. But also, what about the... Um, because I watched your your trailer that you made for Tricky Towers, uh, which is which is a game I really like. Yeah. And uh, you also incorporated video into that, so you were recording people at conventions and other places playing the game, and also seeing their reactions to either winning or losing a match. And did that come from another a similar place of like we need to be able to communicate the idea of of competition? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I I was referred the uh, the the Tricky Towers uh, as a client, uh, specifically the one that you're you're referring to. The first one that I did for them uh, was a uh, the the Tricky Towers uh, tournament update was the name of the the, the update right. trailer, um, and uh, they had a bunch of footage already recorded at Gamescom, um, and they uh, their crew was the actual ones who recorded that, and they said, hey. Uh, Derek uh, Liu, who also did the the trailers for Firewatch, they're like, "Hey, Derek, would you do this?" And he's like, "I'm I'm busy right now. Uh, plus, I know this guy who loves doing player centric trailers. You should talk to him." That was me, and uh, so Derek referred me to the project. And we realized halfway through, like my assumption is that players want to see real people having real authentic experiences with a game. Uh, because when you see people, you know, the typical YouTubers kind of you know, screaming at the camera, um, that's inauthentic and we all know it. Um, <laughs> uh, so the assumption was that we want to uh, just capture really authentic moments. And uh, I, we totally achieved that. But the surprise uh, was that when you show famous streamers and YouTubers kind of freaking out at your game, uh, especially that kind of uh, goofier, more playful, silly style game, um, actually tested really well. Uh, much to my chagrin, where I'm like, you know, let's let's not put, you know, all these famous people in here. But, uh, um, hey, if it works, it works, you know. <laughs> it, it must be because, you know, people kind of identify readily with, with those people already, um, if they are. Partially that, but the, the actual surprise was was realizing that even if that's true, um, it's like, like for example, we had um, uh, the, the Tycho and what's the other guy from Penny Arcade? They were oh, on. Oh, Gabe, yeah. Gabe, yeah, Gabe and Tycho, they were playing uh, Tricky Towers, and so we used some of their footage. Um, in the trailer, which is really, really great, which was funny because uh, when we made the, the PlayStation uh, exclusive version, we had to replace all the buttons on the screen. <laughs> um, in there was all the Xbox UI. Yeah, because of Xbox UI. Um, but the the uh, when we had those in there, like most people don't recognize those guys. They're they don't really matter uh, to to everybody. So the the appeal to it was actually more their vocal, their nonverbal Matthew McConaughey moments. Um, the, oh, ah, you know, like those kinds of things were actually <laughs> right. what res- especially considering we were, we're looking at an inter- an international audience. Uh, Weird Beard is in the Netherlands. Um, uh, the player base is all around the world. Um, and so having uh, we even we actually featured a lot of um, uh, non-English uh, speakers in the trailer uh, simply because the non-verbals were like, oh, ah, you know, those kind of moments were actually so compelling as uh, emotional high points more so than uh, necessarily the celebrity. Right. Which is funny because now that I think about it, yeah, I remember uh, Mike and Jerry, Gabe and Tycho uh, being being in that trailer. And I was like, oh, it's Penny Arcade guys. And I never watched their YouTube content, but like I... I I I know it from like the split second of like oh this is like their first fifteen or like whatever one one of their one of their regular uh, videos that they do. I I really like that format too. I I uh, I've recently tried to do um, a little bit more of a like like actually creating video content um, just because I like the idea of like let's just look at the very beginning of something and see if that's something that is appealing to others. And so I started doing that with, uh, sorry, this is a little shame, shameless self-promotion, but I started to record um, a little bit of game. I just did that with uh, The First Tree, which just came out uh, this past week. Um, just recorded the little bit of commentary on their, their trailer and then played the game. And I'm like, this is really fun for me and actually maybe useful considering you don't have to know anything about it and can just kind of come in cold, kind of like I do. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw you uh, post that video up there. And yeah, I, th- I think that's a very interesting tech to take given your experience with, with cutting trailers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's valuable to it. And I have to actually put something, something remotely valuable in it. Um, but it's very selfishly. I'm like, this is just fun. Cause I can actually like play the games that I have and, and use it in some remotely uh, businessy way. Uh, so going back a step since you uh, mentioned that kind of like one of your breakout or one of your most well-known trailers was the, for that dragon cancer. Um, how does that trailer, the methodology of creating that trailer kind of go in with like your proposed ideas of like, all right, it's about mechanics first and, and gameplay and establishing that because I personally haven't played, uh, that dragon cancer. It's on my gigantic pile of shame, but, um, from what I understand, it's, it's more of a, a kind of a narrative focus, kind of allegorical sense, like you walking around and making these interactions and, and interacting with the story. Yeah, the well, the thing is about the game that's that's hard to explain is that it's a magical realist 
um, uh, poetic exploration. Uh, and that's a whole bunch of mishmash words. I realize now I'm saying that, um, but the, uh, what that means is that when you play the game, one moment, you might actually be uh, a floating duck in a pond. And then uh, a few moments later, you might actually be um, a, a boy and his mom in a wagon uh, speeding through a, uh, um, a clinic. And then the next moment you're um, maybe you have no idea who you are. Maybe you're, you're just yourself. Um, and you're actually like walking through a scene of uh, in the, in the intensive care unit. And then another moment you're actually Ryan green himself. And then you're a bird and like, you're just so many different things. Um, and the mechanics really are uh, kind of from one moment to the next, very different. Uh, so what I, what we, we decided with that particular trailer was um, there's this one specific framing uh, mechanic in the game, which is this, um, the, the spin and say, if you've ever seen uh, the kid's toy, the spin and say, you, you pull the lever and it snaps back up and spins. And then whatever animal was on it says, you know, the horse says, Moo. wait, no, that's not right. And so we, there's a scene in the game called, uh, I'm sorry, it's not good. I'm sorry, guys, it's not good. Um, and in that moment, the doctor explains the condition to the parents and you get to use the spin and say first in the beginning of the scene to, uh, to, to, to just kind of like be the spin and say for Joel, you know, it says the, the, the horse, uh, wants to go with farmer Dan to the dance or something like that. And, and then after the doctor makes his pronouncement, you look back down at the device and it's the, the parents, uh, faces, um, on this, the, the spinning options. And so you spin for, you spin for, for Ryan's picture and you hear his thoughts and you spin for Amy and you hear her thoughts or you spin for the doctor and you hear his thoughts. Um, and it provides a different context for that scene. And it's, it's really, it's my favorite part of the game probably. Um, but I was like, all right, so let's use this to frame the narrative of the trailer. And so we kind of go through that and show a lot of these interactive moments that are more or less uh, uh, kind of out of context. You don't really know why you're there. You don't know what's going on, um, but it, it weaves the, the, the overlaying uh, thoughts of each one of the characters as you go through. Um, and, and that, that worked particularly well for in that, in that case. And I think that that was the right solution. Um, but, uh, the key for me was I wanted to use the game's language, like actual mechanical language to frame the story. So even though we, 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 we replaced the whole story to be more of the trailer story, um, we use the mechanics as the. Uh, as 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 the uh, the bookcase, if you will, uh, holding okay. the books. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and and I from that trailer, and it's been a long time since I've seen that trailer, but I I remember the the most striking part for me. I believe there's a scene with Ryan where he's like sinking, like he's being submerged. I think it's either in the waiting room or something to that effect. And um and I think that's kind of and 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 it's you know and and. A metaphor for like this kind of his depression and also this this event kind of overtaking him and submerging him and all of these thoughts in his in his life and i thought that was just such a a, a striking representation of that entire game um yeah and and i think that that's that's the irony is that um the one thing that we i think that that was actually one of the 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 announcement trailer um or one of the earlier trailers before this one okay um and with that concept the the early narrative on the trailers and the promotion of the game was that it was about a father and his son's cancer and that it was going to bum you out. And, and while that is true, that also didn't necessarily include the fact that the, the, the direction of the game actually changed mid project uh, with, with uh, spoilers um, and real life spoilers that, that Joel passed. And so the, the direction of the game changed a lot less to be a, let's lean into the dark so that we can show the, the miracle of, of breakthrough in him and living. And it became much more, let's uh, let's honor him by celebrating the things that he loves. And so the, the surprise that I had when I played the game was that it was a lot less sad than, than I expected. I, I came, I literally had like my box of tissues ready and I think I only cried once and it wasn't even why, when I thought that I would cry in the game, um, and I was just so much take so taken back by how much of the, the the joy and the highlights and the things that Joel loved were what really framed the game. And so it was like the joy that the excitement uh, through this really terrible setting. And right. so we tried to get that through an ac across in the trailer and still, you know, he still had countless, countless reactions that were like, you know, I can't watch this. 
uh, that's just not where I'm at right now. And, and I totally get that. But, um, uh, and, and, and people have said, you know, I just cried my whole way through the trailer and, and I get that too. And, but that was kind of the thing that we were trying to challenge a little bit. Um, but it's just, it's just a, a, a delicate, uh, tension. And that's the thing that, that I think is, is key and good and awesome about, uh, this kind of world that we live in is that, uh, you want to hold things in tension. Um, you know, you want to complement the good with the bad. I, I, uh, in that project, have you ever seen the TV show Broadchurch? Uh, like five minutes of it. Five minutes. Okay, cool. Well, the first thing that you probably noticed about it besides David Tennant being in it was that there's, um, and that it's, that's also a very sad show is that, um, it's always sunny in this uh, British coastal town. And and anybody who's been to the UK knows that that's probably not entirely true of what the UK is like. Um, and that the, uh, the this extremely happy, sunny, sunny disposition of this world um, comes in contrast with the fact that it's probably the most depressing show you'll ever watch. Um, <laughs> right. And so uh, that was kind of the, the, the take back that I had also on, on that dragon cancer and this this concept of, of dramatic and visual tension of uh, let's use very beautiful, bright colors and happy colors uh, to offset the, the difficult subject. And I think that that's kind of like the, 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 the thing that I, uh, the, the coveted desire of, 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 of all trailers for me is, is how do you offset the, uh, the happy with a sad and make it salty and sweet at the same time. Right. Yeah, that that's a that's a interesting way of looking at it, and like, and and that makes a lot of sense. Like this 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 ongoing tension to make sure it 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 keeps people invested in in what you're trying to communicate, and also lets them know that they can get through it. Versus, um, you know, if if you if if, if that dragon cancer was monochrome, it would be the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you just kind of be spiraling down into this pit of just like despair, yeah, uh, yeah. and there would be like no no recourse to it. I I kind of had a similar. Uh, reaction this isn't this isn't a, a game trailer i just watched i've been watching multiple times the trailer for the new punisher show oh, on yeah, netflix yeah. oh man that is the best trailer i i will watch that 17 times probably and i and i absolutely hate metallica and uh <laughs> excessive punisher like violence i don't like the character but that trailer is probably the best thing that i've seen all year right and there's and there's obviously this kind of this wave it's kind of like hitting a critical mass now of like syncing up actions in a trailer yeah. with musical cues yeah so the um, gun, the gunshot is is the actual uh musical cue yeah 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 so it's like it's going along he's he's loading the ammo and it's going along with the with the notes of uh the Metallica song um Atomic Blonde, that Atomic Blonde trailer was very big in doing that. Exactly. Yeah. I think Atomic Blonde was actually the first one to really, really be like, hey, guys, this is the way you're supposed to do a trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's very striking. Like, I'm not a big, like, John Wick and John Wick type media fan, but. Me either. Me either. But when, when, when you can make people feel what you feel in those scenes. It doesn't even matter if then nothing about the style, if you don't like Depeche Mode and you're in the Atomic Blonde trailer and, you know, all those things. It doesn't matter if you feel, uh, you know, and, and to, to quote the actual Atomic Blonde trailer, how does it feel? Um, but like the uh, make that make people feel what you feel. It doesn't even matter what the content is. Like, I didn't even remember that there was like, like weird, uh, like all sorts of weird moments in, in those trailers that made me feel like icky when I first watched it. Uh, the ultimate final impression of like, okay, this is really awesome was the, the thing that I really liked about it. And I think that that's the key when it comes to whatever trailer that you make is if you, if people, this is just the old adage. It doesn't matter how you, uh, it doesn't matter what you say. It matters how you leave people feeling. And so that's that's kind of the, the takeaway when it comes to any trailer is um, how do you want people to feel? Don't, don't don't necessarily start with, you know, like you can cram pack your trailer with all the features and all the the, 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 the elements of the world that you that you would ever want. But if they don't feel anything, they're not going to care. They're not going to remember the trailer. Um, even my favorite, even like a, one of my favorite games from last year was Enter the Gungeon. Um, and Kurt Gartner did the trailer for that. So obviously it was awesome. Um, but the. I didn't remember any of the title slides. I didn't even remember there were title slides in it. I didn't remember any of the boss fights that were in there. Um, I just remembered feeling, I want to use all those guns. I want to shoot things. I really want to play that. Um, Ooh, and I I think there's co-op in there too. And like, I've used co-op maybe once in the like 160 hours I play the game. Um, But like, that's a confession. That's the most I've ever played any game on Steam. But like, (laughs) the, 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 
the feeling that you leave the trailer with is what what you, what I remembered uh, with with that Gungeon tr- uh, gameplay trailer. Um, I and I could rewatch that right now and pick like five things that are going on in that trailer that I didn't even know were in the game, and that just shows like the level of of depth and how much cram packed you can make something. Um, but the, the the key is always that emotional takeaway. So kind of going into the the subject of like kind of comparing both film and movie trailers with um with game trailers you kind of see this thing with film it's kind of been prevalent for a while about like the trailer trying to sell the story and usually the trailer kind of misrepresenting the story in some cases right, so right, right. yeah so i think that with trailers for movies more often than not you find them spoiling the movie right and when it looks like it's a movie that like i should i feel like i should watch i should like have some like I should wrap my brain around what that movie is. And then the trailer tells me everything and I don't feel like I have to watch the movie. I'm like, yay, I don't have to watch the movie. I feel like I just did, uh, which is both bad and uh, both good in, in my personal sense and also very, very bad storytelling um, because I'm not curious. I don't want to know more. Um, with game trailers, you, uh, I don't, I don't know that movies so as often as games run into the, the, the misrepresentation, obviously, uh, no Man's Sky last year got a lot of heat for f- many folks feeling like the trailers uh, misrepresented how awesome the game would actually feel to play. Um, and uh, in a certain sense, those trailers were phenomenal. Um, they were really, really great at conveying um, the concept of going to a new world, jumping around from across the universe and seeing so many things as uh, was it Rucker Hauer who did the, the voiceover in that? I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, the the those trailers felt really great. Uh, the problem is when um, people felt oversold, um, right? And uh, I said, I say, I'd say that that the the problem in those trailers is that they focus too little on the mechanics. Um, and if they focused on the sensation of hitting of things, um, I actually wrote a, a Gama Sutra piece uh, that that that. Uh, effectively conveyed my, my struggle with those trailers uh, was that they didn't effectively sell me on the momentary interactions of the game. And that should always raise a red flag to any, in any game trailer is if you don't hear the sound effects at full volume, you don't see a good hitting of things. A good contrast point that I used uh, was uh, Derek Liu's uh, Firewatch trailers where um, Firewatch equally is also uh, very much a walking sim and, uh, people didn't think about that when they were watching the No Man's Sky. And most people, you hear the word walking sim and No Man's Sky, people might who've played it a lot might be like, holy crap, it is that. It is a walking sim. I didn't think about that. Um, but the difference in uh, the Firewatch trailers is that there's still a lot of really great momentary interaction moments. And if you watch the trailers, even though Derek does this amazing job of structuring the... Um, the narrative very, very clearly throughout the whole trailer. He also interrupts those, those, um, uh, those narrative points with very hard hitting sound effect moments. So like you might hear Henry say something. And then before Delilah can respond, you'll see Henry swinging an ax into a tree and in the game, you're doing that maybe once or twice, uh, maybe at max three times, five times, I think is the maximum, but like you're not doing it very much in the game. Um, but those hard hitting of things moments are uh, the best way to think of it is like blinks. Uh, when you when, whenever you blink, your brain just retains whatever memory you just created. Um, and if you can do that in a trailer, uh, those hard hitting moments both create the create consistent memory gaps, uh, and they also um, let you breathe. They let you take things in, um, and they also at the exact same time say this is a game where your interactions matter. Uh, and uh, another another great uh, set of trailers that do that are um, the uh, Life is Strange trailers, which um, also are not games where the your your momentary interactions are very uh, important. Um, uh, like like for example, like if if Max goes and picks up a book or something, like that's that's not a very significant interaction. Um, but uh, the sound effect of of that or books dropping or something along those lines creates a very great blinking point in the in the the trailer. And you'll if you if you listen to uh, uh, the, the very intently in in the, the Life is Strange trailers, you'll hear those sound effects as breaking points throughout, which is really kind of neat to follow. Interesting. And like you're saying before about the No Man's Sky thing, like I agree. I think like not establishing um, 
a lot of gameplay mechanics within the 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 length of the trailer it kind of le- left the player's expectations open-ended like yes it being a tonal so. piece it made it much more about like the experience of of this world and how grand and vast it is and it just let players kind of just pour all their expectations into it exactly and that that has its place um i think that that is totally the right approach for a game like journey uh that is totally the right right approach for a game um I don't know. There's, there's not really that many games that that's terribly appropriate for just because there's, I mean, like maybe like civilization, civilizations are really great one or like, uh, like crusader Kings, um, crusader Kings two has this really great series of live action trailers that kind of just like say that like, these are the kinds of, of momentary interactions that you're going to have, uh, as a King making calls in this world. And, uh, you can dump all your imagination into that, the possibilities in that setting. And it, it probably works out systemically, um, but when your game is not systemically rich and it is not uh, meant to be a what what you're causing people to, to to fill their imagination with is the possibilities of mechanics. <laughs> um, that's that's the big thing. You, you want you you do want to say if your game is an evil gazing game, you want to say like, hey, there's going to be lots of space to just sit and think in this game. That's fine. Um, but, uh, as long as you're not saying like, there's going to be lots of time while you're in this space to tinker with your spaceship dashboard or, um, you know, really think about those conversations you had with those aliens over there. Right. Especially with, with games like, um, Elite Dangerous or Star Citizen, like having those being on the, on the field right now. I am terrified to see what, what happens with, with, uh, Star Citizen. Um, and, and I, I, did I not hear like there was already someone something crazy, like multi thousand dollar refund going on or something? Oh, I, I haven't been keeping up with it, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Well, I mean, people are like already buying like ships in the game that are the price of a house. Like, yeah, that's that's not going to that's not going to temper expectations very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, when you, when w- you find out that you can't cook food <laughs> in the in the mess hall area of your of your spaceship, you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah, you just sit in the cockpit and that's about it. Or look at the model in like a 3D viewer. I guess. I mean, I don't even know what you would do with that. This is it. This is this is what horse armor eventually led us to. It started with Oblivion and then we've. this is the end point. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, oh, man, there's something else I was going to ask, but I, I completely blanked on it. Um, well, so another thing I want to bring up because you've you brought up um, Derek Liu, Derek. Is that how you pronounce his name right? Yeah. Um, so it sounds and sounds like like the trailer craftsman community seems like pretty tight knit. It seems like is there like yeah, I, well, not I, a lot I would of say you? A lot of it, yeah, there's there isn't a lot. There's like uh, Kurt Gartner. There's Marlon Weeb uh, who do, who did um, Darkest Dungeons trailers. Uh, he he does amazing amazing work. Um, there's Derek Liu. There's uh, Vito Giswaldi. Uh, there's um, uh, Vanessa Williams, not that Vanessa Williams. Uh, and uh, well, she's got two careers. It's amazing. Yeah. And um, then there's uh, a trailer squad in Croatia. Um, they do really, really good work. Um, and and they're, they're probably the ones that I would say are like my, uh, what, what, what do you call it? They're like my brother in a sense. They're like the ones that I'm like constantly going neck and neck with. And we haven't really done a lot of interaction, but there's very, there's a lot of handshaking. There's a lot of encouragement and mutual, like, you know, I liked, I liked what you did here and that kind of thing. Um, but the, the key for me was realizing that um, there's a lot, it's a very big pond. Uh, there's not a lot of people who do what we do. Um, and it's very difficult and, and niche. Uh, so, like, if, if you know games really, really well, you play way too many of them like I do, um, then you might be able to know how to make those clear comparisons, how to make sure that the, the distinctives are clear, how to make sure that the, the branding is consistent, how to make sure that the whole concept goes clear across um, very tight a variety of shots you know like it's it's pretty pretty specific skill not that not a lot of people could do it i'm sure that there's a lot more room and there's a lot more people than i even know who are out there doing it um but uh yeah i think that the key is uh really encouraging one another and uh like if i can't take on a project i want to make sure that um that that can't be client right now as well taken care of so i'm going to make sure that whoever does really good work i'm going to affirm the project right um which is what you saw with Derek. Yeah, and 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 Derek and I have 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 shared projects back and forth a couple times. That's awesome. Um, I know he did a panel at PAX West about with with Jake Rockin about trailer creating and specifically the Firewatch trailer. Did you did you happen to to catch that one or? 
I was going to go to it. I was literally right there at the door. And I had uh, dinner plans that actually I thought could fall through that came through. And so I, <laughs> I went to the, the dinner plans that I had. Okay. Um, and so that that's that's kind of the thing. But he that also I can I can shoot that to you in video form because he has that. Were you at PAX West? I was not. Okay, cool, cool. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I was at East this year, but um, I think definitely I might be super crazy next year and try to hit all three because I've already gotten invitations for South. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I have my, my South tickets. I've, I, uh, I'd only been to uh, East once before I went this past year. Um, and uh, this is my first West and uh, South will be my first South. Uh, I'm not going to PAX Australia, but uh, there, there's a little bit of temptation there. Um, the main, the main thing that I've realized about PAXs and, and that kind of event size is that you're really dealing with um, a you're you're dealing with with too much um, is what I find. Like the nice the nice thing that I really really loved about uh, about Super Smash Con is that there's literally six six seven eight indies maximum who are showing off games there, which means that I could get to have spent I get to spend time with all you guys. I get to sit down with your games. I get to talk to you, um, and we remember one another. <laughs> right. And and when you go to something like uh, PAX West or PAX East. It's a lot harder to remember people. It's a lot harder to follow up on all those emails, all those business cards you get. It's just a lot harder to follow up with all those things. Um, but it does help when uh, it does help a little. Like I thought it would help a lot more when like you can show up and say, "Hey, I did this trailer, I did that trailer, and I did the trailer for those guys over there." Um, and that's that's kind of, that's cool. It's cool when you can do that. It's cool when you have that like an instant street cred. But it doesn't really necessarily translate because um, while you're there, everyone has so many rec- recommendations and so many games that are flying in their attention at all times. That, they're not going to remember any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I generally just like it when you get to go to a littler show. Um, this year, what was really cool is that, um, I don't know if this is a normal thing, but uh, there was a, a smaller convention off-site of uh, the Penny Arcade Expo West, which was called SIX, S-I-X, um, Seattle Indie Expo. Uh, and that was just two, two streets down, and that was in a, a small little, uh, well, uh, like, ballroom of a hotel. And um, so there was only maybe 12, 13 games maximum um, and a couple student projects included in there. So it was really like a smaller amount, very similar to what uh, Super Smash Con was like. And the uh, it's not a big surprise that all the people who followed up with me or actually got back to me after I, I reached out to them from from PAX were uh, from that event. <laughs> right. And, and so it's just when you have a smaller pool and you have a lot less faces to remember, it's just a uh you know better intimacy really yeah and they uh, and even for them because i mean obviously the attendance is gonna be way smaller for that event than it is for pack so exactly on either side you 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 have less faces to have to remember exactly right yeah yeah i um we ran a panel at uh at east this year um about finding um rare games on the show floor like overlook games so we talked to a bunch of people uh uh in the indie mega booth on on the on the sides and everything and yeah, like even trying to have those conversations, it's very much like, all right, we need to like, it's a loud showroom, it's 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 busy, so we need to be very quick and succinct in our communication with one another because I don't want to forget what you have to tell me about your game, but I also don't want to crowd the space and like I'm not I'm not press like obviously, so I don't want to steal half an hour of your time. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially since it's not like it's not like the press rooms, it's not like the the sanctioned off like like showroom areas like in the other parts of the convention center where it's explicitly for that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's a very difficult thing to do to be able to find the time. Yeah, it was, It's hard to figure out where, where to even exist with, with this whole thing. Like I, I, I mean, I've, I've been press, I've been uh, an exhibitor. I've done uh, a lot of those things in these, these kinds of shows. Um, but the, now that I'm a trailer guy, I kind of just like, I'm like, is there like a special business? But there isn't any kind of like special, like I'm here on business badge. Um, instead, I just kind of have to be Joe Blow everybody and try to like reach out ahead of time. Uh, and I, I'm trying to do that more, but it's also still kind of like weird because I don't know who I want to talk to. I don't know what, what games are worth, are entirely worth checking out. So it takes some time to discern all of those things. Yeah. I wish PAX was better about saying everything that was there. Like they do have a list, but like a lot of stuff is, is, housed under like it's not like here's every game that's at a, the adult swim booth it's just here's adult swim right right here's nintendo here i i ran into a couple of developers so I, I saw like a aurelian regard who is a french french guy making a game called away is this really really beautiful first person smasher where you're hitting things with sticks and it has like this cute anime style um and uh i just saw him walking past like the subway outside of 
outside of uh, the expo hall. And I'm like, Aurelian. And I got like a whole like half hour to sit with him on a smoke break just because of like recognizing him and, and knowing his game. But I didn't even know he was there because he was just listed as Nintendo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even know that he was on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I think my first Nintendo Switch, obviously, I saw a lot of Switches out in the wild at PAX East because it came out like right before the event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally that week. Yeah. But I think the only one that was like, actually, I would be like get anywhere close to interacting with uh, was for Shovel Knight because Yacht Club had like one or two set up at their booth. Oh, man, I need to get I need to get Treasure Cove on the on the Switch. Now I think about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Yacht Club kind of is like the VIP right now when it comes to indie games on the on the Switch. Yeah, I mean, well, they also they also did the one thing. Uh, this is this is actually a really good takeaway for anybody is um, the main thing that pe- a lot of people in vi- vi- indie game marketing are talking about these days is uh, marketing from the ground up. For, so like literally your concept is included in the marketing. So um, making sure that your game is distinctive from any individual screen grab and everything that you look at. And what that mostly comes down to is Gus just having a really memorable character. Um, Shovel Knight himself is an extremely memorable character. And uh, I am still amazed at how often I see games that are like super duper good, brilliant, smart, innovative in every way. And their characters are completely forgettable. Um, It's like, I, 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 I could put this on a t-shirt, but I don't think that anyone would ever get it. You know, like there's there. Yeah. You, you want to have that uh, lasting memorability, even down to the basic details of your core characters. Do you think that's a issue? You think that's more prevalent in like certain game genres where it's like, it's less about the, the character itself, well, more I, about I, the I mechanics and interactions. The fact that, like indie game developers are all kind of like just waking up to the fact that this is a business. Um, it's kind of like you, you, you get in, you get into the world of, of indie games. Cause you're like, man, I want to make games. And then you realize, Oh crap, this is actually a, about business. This is about like planning. This is about strategy. This is about connecting with uh, an ideal player base. This is about building your player base. It's about identifying all those things. Uh, and so you kind of have to uh, once, once that, that realization happens, people, uh, like so, a, a really great example is um, Adam Saltzman of Finji. He made um, he he had the breakout success of Cannibal, the first auto runner, woo, which doesn't didn't actually translate to sales when he put out a game called Capsule, which was about uh, asphyxiation. Um, so right, um, he was like, wait, 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 uh, maybe I have I- to sit and rethink. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I have friends that are obsessed about Capsule though. So and 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 there's that that small little niche who got in there and got it got into that, but when he released that he, he did not translate the sales from cannibal and uh, a couple of other games that he did uh, smaller games that he did uh, are supported through finji and uh just wasn't seeing the success so he's like what <laughs> wait a second what what did what didn't we do right here and he basically uh qual- quantified it down to all right well this um doesn't there's there's not like a specific wish fulfillment here um no one no one's clamoring for a game that's about going underwater and potentially you know asphyxiating and dying um, there's, there's not a lot of people, uh, who are doing all this. So he, when he came out with, uh, the game Overland, he was like, all right, well, I want to make a tactics game. Uh, well, what does not exist in this tactics genre, um, is a, a really, really beautiful, um, uh, color palette, um, like just consistent, good, clean design, uh, visually first, and also going into this particular setting and also being in this kind of world. So he defined a lot of those things. And if you pay attention to, um, uh, there was an article about this this thought process on Gama Sutra, and he looked at games like um, uh, like Super Hot. He looked at uh, uh, games that, like, the moment that you look at them, you're like, all right, there's something that's really special here, and and the mechanics of them is still distinct enough that another game could, you know, very could conceptually copy the idea, but everyone would know that they stole it. Like like uh like Super Super Truck uh, when when uh, uh Tiny Build decided that they were going to like copy the mechanics of of Super Hot in uh their cluster truck build. Right. Um and that was that was hilarious. Um and and everyone loved that as a uh uh, uh April Fools joke. It was still pretty it was probably more fun than the actual game in my personal opinion, but the uh <laughs> the actual uh, concept of, of putting a, a game out there that is distinct unto itself, but has a visual style that that no other game has, um, is something that that has to be a ground up decision. It, it, it can't you can't just you know be in the late process of your game and be like you know what uh, everything in our game needs to look look really special. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you uh, you touched on a lot of great things. I kind of want to talk about one is the uh, the concept of how a lot of indie devs come into this first as a passion project and second as a business. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. 
And and the the first one is actually more important than the second because if you don't have passion, you're never going to get through a project to begin with. Exactly, but um, and you know, I talk about this all the time on this podcast. You know, I I it's a I have a chip on my shoulder about uh, indie devs that dismiss business out of hand because it's it's a very <laughs> important aspect of this business. Um, but also what you're talking about, like Adam Saltzman, kind of luckily falling into success with with Cannibal. Like he right. wanted to make a game, and it and it had. Uh, a unique gameplay mechanic had a unique hook um and, and then just tr- landed it right out th- it was just the right place at the right time especially considering ios was just becoming a thing in 2000 2008 2009 and and he just landed in the right place at the right time there was no other game that that i mean there was literally like one or two other games i think it was on like the amiga or something something super obscure that even had these just basic auto runner struck this basic auto runner structure um and then <laughs> You fast forward three, four years after that, every game on the iOS was like an auto runner. Right. I mean, I mean, peaks for you know all intents and purposes, it an auto runner. And I really want to see indies to stop, stop stopping at the first idea they have, where where they say, "I want to make a game," and then they start prototyping something and say, "Okay, this is gonna this is gonna be my first game." Instead of being like, "All right, well there there's an idea. Let me try another idea, or let me experiment or try to get this idea out in front of people," instead of doing this thing where it's um all right here's an idea i made i'm gonna keep working on it. i'm gonna work on it for several years or whatever and then several years down the line i will then test to see if it's a viable idea and like they're 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 doing the th- they're doing it in reverse and i i, I kind of want to see people shift away from that i i, I want to blame entirely this is entirely uh indie game the movie's fault oh sure yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know that that's entirely that's that's actually true at all but i do know that when i watched the movie i was like i want to make an indie game and i'm like running down and like oh i can make my office the indie game office and that would have been the worst possible choice that i could have made at that time <laughs> but also like indie game the movie like like tommy and edmund are like are examples of that or right well it's, it's all success stories and that's the thing like when you when you and, and of course they show a whole bunch of games at the end that were not success stories um, but the, when you make a narrative entirely about the, the breakthrough moment before success, um, that doesn't tell the story about when the, the breakthrough moment before not success. And it creates a, a concept in the mind that like, okay, all I have to do is have just a really good game concept and make it. And then I'm going to be successful. And that was just a time and place in, for that documentary. And I think that it was a wonderful documentary for being like, Hey, indie games, they're awesome. Right. Um, but it also did not uh, effectively convey the uh, the amount of r- risk, in particular, of this industry. Right, because I mean, you knew Team Meat was going to be successful to a certain extent, yeah, because especially if you heard of, the, of Super Super Meat Boy, yeah. Well, I'm saying like before Super Meat Boy was released, like you knew that there's a certain amount of success because they they got enough fame with the Newgrounds prototype and all that. Like there would not have been a camera crew filming them for a documentary if they weren't already had some sort of renown yeah, yeah and if, if uh phil fish hadn't won the igf or whatever it was exactly um and and all those things and it, it's because of um the the part part of the narrative that um i think uh edmund mcmillan wanted to reframe so much after the movie was released was how much work went into his how many games he made before super meat boy um because the narrative of the movie i i, I think that he you know he even cites you know working on aether and all sorts of other games in the movie but uh you know, our lizard brains, all that we remember is he made this one game and it was successful. And, and it's the same thing with Phil Fish, like Phil Fish, like worked on a bunch of prototypes before that. And also it's it's kind of it's the same mentality as like when Facebook first became big and people said, oh, you're an overnight success. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. we were an yeah. overnight, overnight success. success. That 10 took, years in the making. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. It's it's people don't see all the work that that led up to that. It's, it's the 10 years before. And, and I actually had this conversation with with uh, with Adam Sussman in particular about how like he he did make cannibal in a week like what what a week no uh, okay sure i'll believe you if that's what he told me he said it um uh, but he spent it was 10 years a, a week 10 years in the making is what yeah. his point was is that like he had been making tons and tons of prototypes and this is just the, the capitulation of so many ideas that have built up until that particular point exactly and so like and you know, Peak was a prototype. Peak was a Ludum Dari game that we made that we got a lot of uh, good reaction. It got like, it was our first Ludum Dari game that me and my pal Mason made and it got like 12th in innovation uh, ranking. And so we were like, oh, wow. And then like, we didn't touch it for like a year, year and a half. And then we we're like, oh, we'll submit it to MAGFest, just whatever. And then we submitted it to MAGFest, got into MAGFest. Um, 
and there's like, all right, maybe there's there's something so missed, to this idea. I missed idea. you at Magfest this year. I guess you did, but I'm gonna be there oh, next man. year. So oh, sweet, cool. Well, I'll uh, hopefully catch you then. I think it's right a week before uh, South. Before South, yeah. Which yeah, is, that's uh, gonna be a hellish like yeah. first of the year. Yeah, that's that's not gonna be fun. Well, at least the good news is that that at least in Pack South, you're not gonna be freezing to death. That's true. It it was cold. Did you ever walk by that giant like? windowed door that was right next to the escalators outside the expo hall at, at magfest and it was just like like temp- the air dropped like 15 degrees oh, yeah i mean they have that giant atrium like the, the magfest was so surprising to me because i was like you know every other festival that i've been to is like not a hotel with uh, a mall inside of it yeah exactly um though i've heard pax west i was talking to mike footer uh a couple weeks ago and he was saying that pax west is kind of spread out in like one part in like the west end the, the, well, the best way to describe pax west's layout is that it's basically if you've ever played metroid prime one two or three um it's exactly the same okay. um only you don't have uh samus's uh handy little mini map and you just kind of got to figure it out on your own uh fortunately there's foot traffic that you can just kind of like follow the flow of foot traffic except for the fact that i tried that first and went right through uh the building where everything was happening and was back out on the street again and i Looked around behind me. I'm like, what? what where'd it go? <laughs> I was trying to get somewhere. What happened? <laughs> I saw. All the, I followed all the cosplayers. Obviously, I'm in the right <laughs> zone. Um, but it was like four floors up for the first section. Then on the, you had to cross the sky bridge to the other fourth floor, and then you had to go back through that all the way to the the, the top front, and then go up another two floors to the sixth floor, which is where the other show floor. Um, and that's, of course, just the main the main things. If you want to get into any of the panels and stuff, good luck. Uh, if you want to find Nintendo, the, the Nindy Arcade, that was a, that was a chore. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was I, I wish someone would have told me it was basically the same as Metroid Prime. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's nice about MAGFest is that it's um, so if you are in the indie showcase, you get uh, they, they set aside a block of, of rooms in the Gaylord for you to purchase if you want to. Um, so it's just go to bed, wake up, go downstairs, go to your booth. All right. Show the game days over, go back upstairs, go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the weird thing about Magfest that I didn't know going Like I'm, I'm only, I mean, I'm two hours away from there. So it was like, I ideal, like conceptually ideal for me compared to any other events that I go to. Um, but like the, the big surprise was how much it's, um, like crash here like like the event is a 24 hour like it's a 24 hour event and there's always something going on so they actually like encourage you to forget about the existence of the sun <laughs> <laughs> or sleep for that matter yeah, yeah um and and i i just didn't know that going into it and it was just like kind of like disorienting i'm like uh, i didn't have any time for any panels or concerts or any of those things um but i did get to check out the arcade holy crap that isn't that that's that arcade man oh it's fantastic like like every game that I ever wanted that I, that I wanted to, to try, especially Japanese music games that I never even heard of, like like was a the Taiko drum drummer. Yeah, I the, forget mo- the one with- the drum machine, Taiko drum machine. Yeah, that was there. Yeah, with the, the giant sticks. I was like, yeah, this yeah. is so cool. They had a they had a Killer Queen uh cabinet there, but it was broken. Yeah, that that was why I didn't play it. I was so super disappointed, and I didn't even remember because I was just so overwhelmed with everything in the room. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting to, to discern what the different dynamics of all these events are. I think that my personal preference and uh, is is probably far more towards um, far more towards Magfest, um, simply because I can have more time uh, connecting with people. Um, even though a uh, PAX, you get to see more games. Um, so it's just kind of like, which do you want? Do you want more games or more actual, you know, closer connections? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And sometimes, and like depending on the kinds of games you want to play at PAX, it's not even like a good venue for that. Because I mean, like when VR was first huge, like it, you know, it was a four-hour wait to to even touch a headset. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The v, the VR the VR is the one of the weirder ones, and and fortunately you have the the isolation of VR, which is really handy uh, when you're there's so many people around. And of course, you know, but you can also get false positives in that kind of environment. Because say, for example, your local your local multiplayer. Obviously, a local multiplayer game is an arcade game. Everyone's going to be able to walk up to your booth, pick up a controller, and play it immediately. And they're like, "Bam, I'm there." Uh, that's not the, 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 the indie, uh, local multiplayer game scene has a huge dilemma right now. sorry. This is a little bit of rabbit trail, but like, uh, you can, uh, if, if you make a local multiplayer game that is only local multiplayer, then you have to have someone who actually brings people over to their house, which is 
not common in our American culture, uh, then you or you have to go uh, create an online infrastructure, which is how a lot of people play. Uh, but if you don't have the online supported community, no one's going to be there to play anyway. And you just spent hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of hours trying to create your online infrastructure when no one's actually there. Right. Um, so it's it's very difficult to create a sense of honest, true positives of player experience. And um, the weirdest thing is, I think that my favorite uh, my favorite player experience moment that I had was when I had time with the game Pyre from uh, uh, Super Giant's new game. Um, and it was already out when I when when Pax was going on. Um, but having, which meant that there's no line, um, right. I was able to just like sit there for a good 15, 20 minutes and just like enjoy, like getting my brain into, okay, do I, is this a game that I'm going to really enjoy? And, and, and the answer was yes. Um, another game that, that was like, that, that I was able to discern whether or not I'd really, really enjoy was Celeste, um, which is a, a platform Matt Thorsten's game. new game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, I got, uh, him and, uh, Nolan, I'm forgetting Nolan's last name, but, uh, him and. Uh, Matt and Nolan are making this game together and it is uh, phenomenally polished. It is extremely fun. And I thought it was going to be far more like Towerfall because that's what it looks like in all the animations. Um, but uh, the grabbing mechanic just throws everything for a loop and makes it way more dynamic than that. Right. Yeah. I think that game was kind of a Pico 8 darling because I think the original prototype was built in Pico 8. So I have a lot of dev friends who who do a lot of Pico fiddling around. And what, so they really what is like Pico 8? So Pico 8 is kind of branded as a fantasy console. Um, I forget the developer of it, but basically it's it's an all-in-one like kind of game engine package. So it's uh, a... My friend Will's going to get angry that I don't know the specifics, but basically it's you're limited to like a uh, 128 by 128 grid, right? And like 16 colors. Um, and everything is built within that. And there's a there's a... There's a sprite editor in it. There's a uh, music sequencer in it. Everything to make a game is inside it. There's uh, a text editor for doing all the code, and it has its own uh, proprietary language. Um, and so it's it's very easy for people that don't that aren't familiar with one of the other engines, so UE or or or, uh, or Unity. They can just jump in this, and as long as they learn the language, every all all the tools are right in there. They don't have to mess with Photoshop. They don't have to mess with like any sort of GarageBand or Audition or anything. Oh wow, cool! So, so so I have a lot of indie friends that are very big into it to go in there, fiddle around, get some sort of prototyping done, and then and then you export them into quote unquote cartridges, which are just executables that can be converted to like HTML5 or just you can load them onto the console, which just means like you can just execute them within the the game the thing itself that's awesome yeah I, i'm seeing that right now it looks like really 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 handy even faster maybe than uh than uh game uh game maker and uh see other really easy one i'm not remembering at the moment mm. i don't know but yeah cool yeah that that's really really cool i like it pico 8 uh, i think construct is one of the other popular ones or uh, yeah, yeah 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 or game salad i, I don't know how, how popular game salad is but that's yeah, another i'm one. not sure entirely but yeah um cool uh another thing all right so i remember what the other thing i was gonna say we were talking about about games or game trailers that kind of are very open-ended so they're very good about setting tone or setting uh the this the world and i think rockstar is like premier like rockstar makes some of my favorite trailers ever um yeah like Red Dead Redemption and yeah, so that was the one I was going to bring up is that the Red Dead Redemption Two trailer I think is very it meets that criteria of like an open world game with like a teaser that just kind of establishes the tone where you can just pour your expectations into it and then they'll release a second trailer which they just announced that they're having some sort of live stream next week. Yeah, well, I th- I think the thing is the thing is with the thing is that, that I don't really like those trailers. Um, and I'm gonna offend your trailers and that, or your your that's favorite fine. trailers and that's that's but the the reason why is because it doesn't translate to the indie space, right? Because uh, they're they're working with they're working with brand equity, um, and with with indie most indie game developers don't have that, and most of the, I mean like sure maybe like Supergiant does and they have a little bit that they can lean on, but I think that Pyre is a really good comparison point because like they made Bastion and Transistor and and both of those games like they totally had me, uh, but when they they created uh, these these characters that 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 take you at least twenty minutes to at least learn who they are, um, that makes it very hard for you to get into the trailer and so like they can build the trailer on setting and tone and say hey it's a Supergiant game and and maybe it'll get people in maybe it'll work. 
Um, but it didn't work for me. And I, I, I think that that's significant um, that I didn't get it until I sat down and played the game. Uh, but um, when it comes to most indie game developers, you don't even have you don't you don't have that. Like I, I made these two other games before and people know who I am more than likely you have to. I mean, you really kind of have to assume unless you're Rockstar, Bethesda, EA or or, or Nintendo, you, you kind of have to assume no one knows who you are. No one knows your world. Um, and while there's there's certain uh, folks who can who can get away with just a style piece, um, most of the time, those style pieces are still working with some kind of established uh, familiarity of sorts. Um, even, uh, even I think the last of us, uh, when, when they did the last of us trailers, they kind of like made really a hardcore emphasis when they first revealed the first last of us trailer, I think was 20, 2011, 2012, when they first released the first last of us trailer, they 20, 2011, uh, they, they emphasized, uh, the, the brutality of the interactions, the, the moments that Joel really crushes a man's skull in on, on a, on a bunch of, bunch of loose brick, um, and the, the reason why is because those, those kinds of interactions have to establish the, the experience for people, um, even at that AAA setting. Uh, and I love, I love when an indie game can rely on setting and style and that can get you into the mystery and into the world ev- evocatively. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to cite one ex- other game that just came out recently. It's called a game called Echo, E-C-H-O. That, yeah, um, people, people, uh, all my friends on, we have like a local game dev Slack channel and people are like, look at this trailer. Oh my God. It's super, it's super good because of the fact that it, it does one thing. It establishes the mystery. And from the very, very beginning, like, like it's got some really great, you know, like honed in, like, uh, like 2001 style shots. Um, but all the framing narrative of, of, of the, the delivery is why is, what is this planet? Why is it? entirely this this labyrinth uh and why are my characters clones popping up uh those those questions are enough to make make me want to pl- i'll probably play it uh i i don't know that i think that the one the one review that i read of it was, was like a 7.5 on uh let's play video games.com and that's good it's not great but the mystery in that of itself is enough to push me over the ledge because they have a really really good also, I like the mo- the movie Moon, and that the game basically looks like the movie Moon, so that that's going to get me over. Um, but that that's the key is if you can create and establish a setting like that, that doesn't establish its mechanics until uh, 20, 20 some seconds into the trailer, and because of the fact that it takes that long to get to that point, um, it could lose people, but more than likely it won't because the mystery is strong enough. Um, and I think that if you are a game that can suck people in with mystery, that is um, setting curious, familiar, but also setting curious, um, it can work really, really well. It, it just takes a lot of crafting to establish that mystery to begin with. Um, mystery is one of the hardest kinds of uh, things to create to get people into because the entire nature of the storytelling method is to not tell people things. <laughs> And, and and as 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 you'll probably find with with most trailers that that involve invisibility like uh, like screen sheet, um, the hardest thing to show is 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 uh, gameplay where you can't see your character or where you don't know what's <laughs> what you you can't actually show the mechanics because they're invisible. It's <laughs> a good point. Well, Josh, I'm all out of questions. I don't know if there's if there's anything else you uh, want to cover. If there's anything like huge burning within you th- about trailer making that you want to touch upon oh man um the i guess i guess the key thing that i always want to leave people with is that that final impression of um how's this game going to make me feel what 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 are especially if your game is mechanically oriented towards uh crushing your crushing your seeing your enemies driven before you and hearing the lamentations of their women uh the (laughs) you 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 want to hear and see these things and remember that those are emotional moments um, if your if your game is is a devil may cry like and you you're just slashing things, uh, you need to be emotionally intelligent enough to identify what is that emotion that people are feeling when they enjoy that good hitting of things. Is it I'm a destructive child and I'm like hey, hey, hey I get to smack this. Um, that might be something you want. That that might really work. Um, if it's not that, if your game is you know like uh, recreating uh, 1600s. Um, a, 
Oh, setting of astronomy. I just saw that 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 the uh, the Tengami developers are are, are going with a. Uh, uh, they just announced their new game, which is set in um, sixteen hundred, um, as an uh, where you play an astronomer who's an astronomical doctor, uh, improving the lives of people um, by reading the stars. And I'm like, whoa! I need to see a trailer for that. I need to see how that actually mechanically plays out. Um, but if you can identify what is the what is the emotional state of a person who's trying to decide the fate of a of a virtual character in a game? Is is that uh, I can't wait to mess them up, or you know whatever whatever that emotion is that's underlying and motivating the player? Uh, that's the thing you want them to to remember you by. Yeah, I like that you pressed you touched on uh, emotional intelligence and being able to understand, being able to take yourself out of your shoes to be able to to yeah, it's hard. It's hard, even even if if you know, like like I actually had a, a I consulted with with a company who, who specifically was was only employing people with, uh, with various uh, who were on various places on the autism spectrum, um, and that was the thing that they struggled with, uh, sort of predictably in their trailer was was how to identify the emotional intelligence, um, but they they actually had those moments in there. They just needed to be able to to put words to. Um, this is, this is the fear moment. This is the, the discovery moment. These are the things. And, you know, just having an extra voice come in and say, Hey, um, this is how I felt at each one of these moments. If you can just label each spot in the trailer with an emotion for me, uh, that would help me know how to improve things. And that can be, that can, that can just be a lifesaver for, for developers. Um, and, and, you know, and make sure that you're, you're testing these things with your friends. Um, if, if, if you are putting your trailer out there and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to register with people. And if they come back to you and say, I don't know either, then, um, then you need to make, you need to, to get really, really granular and, and explain things really, uh, telly instead of showy, which is the wrong way of making, uh, of storytelling. You should, you need to show, don't tell, uh, but sometimes you need to tell. And then, uh, all right, well, at least the intent is clear here. And then you can get back to trying to replace those telly moments with some showing. Awesome. All right. Well, Josh, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to me about this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, um, I think people will love hearing your talk about uh, trailers because I know it's a thing that all indie devs need to do. Yeah, everyone has to. It's the it's the the modern back of the box, and uh, it's something that that I I totally believe developers can do themselves very very well. Um, and sometimes they just need a little push over the edge uh, to be able to do it themselves and. Yeah, glad to be of service. No problem. And uh, I'm if anyone would like your services, I'll I'll link to your your website in the show notes so people can get a hold of you. Awesome. Thank you. It's at mjoshua.com. Pretty easy to remember. All right. Thanks again, Josh. Yeah. Thanks again, Dylan. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>